0: from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teachers. generations pastor here Um, today I'm holding two things in tension the uh, biblical truth and God's will and his wisdom and intention for sex and also the fact that my husband is on sound and can cut me at any moment (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, so I am here because probably also because uh, I have a bit of a limited filter I ask a lot of questions, and I am deeply invested in couples uh, and the role that sex plays in their marriages. So my, my hope is that this sermon will reflect God's grace, his joy, and his plan for your life and your sex life. So join me in prayer as we begin. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come here in your bask, in your presence, Lord. Soften our hearts, open our minds as we receive uh, the words that you have placed on my heart and the words you have given me to share with these people, Lord. We thank you for your abundance of grace and your abundance of love that just pour over us daily. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the beginning, God created humans, and shortly thereafter, sex happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Genesis 1.24 reads, uh, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, the word for this oneness, this unity, is echad. This is the Hebrew word for coming together and being one. Uh, This is the line where man and woman is blurred. John Mark Comer goes further in his book, Loveology, uh, and explains that it is where you are wrapped up so tightly in someone that you don't know where you end and they begin. Echad is when you know and you are known. Tim Chattuck, a pastor in the US, was asked in an interview, what, "What are the what are most of the questions asked to you about sex? What's the most common questions? And he responded, what is the purpose of sex? Tim went on to explain that most people take their cues from the culture that they are immersed in. Their friends, their families, their workplaces, their church communities, if they attend one. Or they take their cues from inside of them, their personal beliefs, their opinions, their faith. But that is not God's vision for our lives. The Bible calls us to not look out, or even in, but to look up. So what does the Bible, what does God say about sex? So point number one, sex is good, thanks Thomas. Uh, (laughs) Um, God's vision for sex is threefold, pleasure, intimacy, and procreation, all of which are inherently good. Sex is protected and celebrated all throughout scripture. In the book of Proverbs, we see a wise man instructing his son, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delights, be intoxicated always in her love. We need a theology of joy, of delight to understand sex. Uh, as it has been mentioned a few times in the last few weeks in this series, Jesus' first recorded miracle in the Bible was to turn water into wine at a wedding. A picture is painted of Jesus standing there holding his glass of red, looking out over his friends and family. Jesus loved a good drink and a free meal. Um, Jesus' attendance at this wedding shows his approval of marriage, as text shared last week. The serious work of his ministry did not prevent him from participating in such a joyous occasion. God wants us to enjoy life and live life to the full. Now, Christianity is one of the only great religions that thoroughly approves of the body. C.S. Lewis points out in his book, *Mere christianity that nearly all of the greatest poetry on love has been written by Christians. Christianity overtly contradicts the notion that sex is bad. It is easy uh, to see the negative in sex, though, from how churches talk about sex. There's a lot of don'ts. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't sleep around. Don't have sex uh, with anyone else other than your spouse. Don't, don't, don't. But I want to expand on what God's vision is. So uh, when I, I am a 90s baby, I was born and raised in peak purity culture. Now, if you haven't heard of purity culture before, it was a Christian movement that uh, the whole purpose and emphasis was on staying pure before marriage. So this included abstaining from sex before marriage. And also, in some circumstances, not dating for risk of becoming impure. Purity culture also uh, told women how to dress so as not to tempt men. And purity rings were all the rage. Purity rings uh, were rings that signified that you were married to Jesus and that you promised not to have sex before you were married. It's a physical, visible sign that you were taken. Now, I want to share a story uh, about my own personal life that really highlights the impact that purity culture has and had on young people. So when I was 15, uh, I was about to go on a date with my first boyfriend. At this point, we had been dating for about five months. Now, to give give some backstory, it took us three months to hold hands. At five months into our relationship, we had not kissed. So the risk of falling into sex, I want to say, is pretty low. (laughs) Not impossible, but pretty low. Uh, So we're walking out my front door, we're heading to the tram uh, to go to the Royal Adelaide Show, excellent date spot. We're walking along, we get about a block away from my house, and I realize I'm not wearing my purity ring. (laughs) And I immediately feel uncomfortable. I'm overwhelmed with anxiousness, and I feel vulnerable, and I just don't feel safe. Now, this, this fear aligned with an inanimate object and this heaviness associated with a belief is not normal. This connection and this fear aligns with wearing or not wearing a purity ring is incredibly damaging. In recent years, it has been shown that purity culture has uh, had harmful long-term effects, particularly on young women, but also men, and has taught us to be ashamed of our bodies, to be anxious about sex, and even, uh, in some severe cases, to have uh, panic attacks and PTSD responses to sex. In her book, The Great Sex Rescue, Sheila Ray Gregor makes the blunt point, evangelical or purity culture primes women to suppress their sexuality, but then turns around and chastises them when they do exactly the same thing once they're married. Is it any wonder that women struggle with sex and sexuality? But I want to be clear. The Bible does not support or encourage purity culture. The Bible overtly time and time again makes it clear that sex is good. So fast forward seven years. I am sitting in Mike and Jen's lounge room. Those of you who have dated, engaged, and got married here in this church will know uh, that when you do pre-marriage counselling, this final session that, w- that I'm currently in, this final session, uh, is talking about sex. Now you were given the space to ask Michael Jen, so they split up, the men go in one room and the women stay in another. And you're given the space and the opportunity to ask questions, voice concerns, talk through anything you might be anxious about to do with sex. Now, if you've been here longer than a couple of weeks, you've probably met Jen, our lead pastor. Now, Jen is a a confident woman. She is not afraid of an uncomfortable conversation or an awkward conversation. But I, too, am a confident woman (laughs) who who is not afraid of an awkward conversation or an uncomfortable conversation. And I think Jen nearly fell off the couch when I whipped out my notebook full of questions. Now, for my husband's sake, I am vetoed from repeating any of those questions. (laughs) Um, But despite this space that we were given, in the lead-up to our wedding and our wedding night, I was incredibly, I still felt incredibly uncomfortable. I felt physically ill, grappling with this sudden shift between sex is bad and impure and you're not to talk about it, to now, suddenly, sex is good And sex is exactly what you should be doing on your wedding night. Now, I have also been vetoed from talking about our wedding night. This is live streams. To steal a quote from Mike Wardrop, sex is not the icing on the cake of marriage, it is the cake. So, my second point here today is sex is important and should be prioritised in your marriage. Uh, Sex is the body's share in marriage by which God's choice is the mystical image of the union between God and man. It's from C.S. Lewis. Now, the first commandment given to humans was to be fruitful multiply now this this was a command to have sex we don't necessarily refer to sex as multiplying now because contraception Um, that when we don't uh, and in most sometimes sex doesn't always equal babies and babies doesn't always equal sex exhibit our IVF baby But this is how important sex is. God commanded it first. It was the first commandment directly given from God to humans. Even before God commanded men to do the dishes. (laughs) Even before God commanded us to have a good circle of friends or to have a tidy home or to show hospitality, God commanded sex. A Bible verse often quoted about sex that um, Lisa shared. A part of that is uh, 1 Corinthians 7:5, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come, again, come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I want to unpack this because there are some unhealthy beliefs that can come out of this. Sex isn't the act of penetration. <laughs> That's intercourse. Now, intercourse is included in the realm of sex, but sex is about intimacy, and we can increase intimacy in our relationships in a multitude of ways. I was speaking recently to a friend who's only a couple months postpartum, and she was saying, look, in this, in this season of life, She doesn't always feel like having sex, like having intercourse. But she sure as heck is always open for a massage. Or you might be in a season where you just want to be physically close together or make out. Sex isn't about uh, just the act of penetration. Sex is about being physically close and bearing yourself, not only physically, but also bearing your soul. So unpacking this scripture more, what is interesting about this verse is that culturally at the time, women would not have had a right to say no to their husbands. But this verse assumes that women did have a say in the matter. The concept that women could deny their husband would have been radical, but God is saying to not deny your husband or your wife in this circumstance. So I want to be clear, though, that duty sex is not healthy and can be incredibly damaging for a relationship. Love is not love if it is not freely given. And sex can be used as a weapon against your spouse. Sex should not be transactional. You do this, clean this, tidy this, and then and then I'll give you sex. We should want to love our spouses and meet their needs and not be intentionally depriving our marriages of sex. It's okay to say no, please hear me, but are you planning for it to happen soon? A factor that I'm gonna go out on a limb that uh, probably greatly contributes to the differences in how men and women approach sex is their level, level of satisfaction at the end. A 2018 study done in the U.S. on orgasm frequency noted that 95% of men will orgasm every time or almost every time they have sex, intercourse. Whereas only 48% of women will orgasm every time or almost every time they have sex. That's a big difference. This is what Sheila Ray Gregor has dubbed the orgasm gap." So verses uh, three to four of our teaching texts highlights the lens that we should be viewing sex through. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, I have felt it in our marriage when we haven't been intimate for a while. We are less patient, we anger quicker, we are less kind. It affects the fabric of our relationship. Again, yes, there is a time and a place to abstain if you are discerning something, or if you are eight months pregnant and severely nauseous or exhausted all the time, there's probably a time, these are probably examples of times, when sex will not be happening as much or at all, and that's okay. As Christians, a healthy framework to have these conversations with our spouses, something that has uh, greatly helped uh, Tom and myself in this is doing the love languages test. These are the five different love languages up here. So, um, I, from doing this, I know that Tom doesn't care if I buy him new shoes or if I tidy the house and cook him his favourite dinner. (laughs) He cares a little bit. Um, uh, Tom just wants to be physically close to me. Whereas I, don't particularly care if Tom buys me flowers or if he hugs me seven times when he walks through the door. I just don't want to do the dishes. (laughs) I have learnt in my marriage that I need to initiate intimacy in order for my husband to feel loved. And Tom has learnt that he's much more likely to get some if the kitchen is clean. (laughs) Again, sex should not be transactional. (laughs) And I have fallen into this trap myself. Cue Tom waving around the tea towel at the back there. Uh, Overall, wives and husbands, all we want to hear is we are in this together. We are a team. And when one needs that extra help or that extra love, the other one steps up. And through this, you will ultimately see your sex life flourish. So, my third point today, sex has been corrupted by the world. Now, we need to deconstruct some lies that society tells us about sex. It is important that we confront the damage that society has done, even if by accident, so that we can walk towards the abundance of life that God wants for us. Now, the word porn comes from the Greek word pornea. The original meaning of the word pornea was to prostitute or to sell. However, by the time of the New Testament, uh, it had a much broader meaning of sexual behavior that was uh, spoken, was not seen as of God's will or of God's intention for sex. These things included uh, uh, adultery, adultery, pedophilia, promiscuity, homosexuality, incest, premarital sex, and bestiality. This, of course, includes porn. A study commissioned by the Barna Group in 2016 noted that young people are being so exposed to a hypersexualized culture that they are more accepting of explicit content and more open to experimenting themselves. This study found that 12% of 18 to 24-year-olds sort out porn daily. Now, there's a graphic up above here. Um, And 56% of young adults sort out porn at least monthly. 56% of 18 to 24-year-olds sort out porn at least monthly. Teens and young adults are more likely to seek out porn than any other demographic. Porn is incredibly harmful. I think we know that in our heads. Studies have shown that not only does it decrease our libido and decreases our own sexual performance, and I want to argue that porn is also damaging not just because it shows too much, which it does. This small snapshot is very explicit. But I want to argue that sex is also incredibly harmful because it doesn't show enough. It doesn't show the kind words spoken after sex. It doesn't show the making of breakfast together the next morning. It doesn't show the building of a fruitful relationship together, and it doesn't show the absolute devastation of an unfaithful one. Porn is incredibly damaging on so many levels. A global report on sex and sexual practices completed by Judith Mackey for the Sex and Sexual Relationship Therapy Journal highlighted that men's use of pornography has been compared with women's consumption of romantic novels, both using fantasy to compensate for a disappointing reality. A little bit of personal conviction there. We need to be so aware of everything that we are consuming. It's not just the video we might Google to to get a high, it's also the TV shows we're watching, the movies we're watching, the literature we're reading, the podcasts we're listening to. We need to be so aware of what we are consuming and what we are letting affect our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 reads, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The word body and yourself here is used interchangeably. Paul here is highlighting that our bodies and ourselves are inextricably linked. What you do with your bodies is important. Don't let the world distort your vision of sex of your bodies. A couple months into Tom and mine's relationship, I was I was at work. I was working at Baker's Delight at the time, doing my own thing, slicing some bread. And uh, my friend, who I was working with, friend is a loose term. My colleague uh, at the time, she turned to me and said, "So, how's sex with Tom?" And I'm. <clears throat> I've just sliced this loaf and I've got it in my hands and I'm thinking real hard. I'm like, this is, she's not a Christian. Um, this, um, this is a line in the sand moment. And I realize I need to speak truth and I need to speak kindness. And above all else, I need to point back to Jesus. So I reply, well, actually we are, we're Christians, um, and, and we both decided, we made the commitment together that we're not going to have sex before, before we get married. Absolutely flabbergasted. She looks at me. Her mind, I can see her mind ticking away. And she looks at me, and she asks, well, how will you know if he's any good? <laughs> Again, this is a line-in-the-sand moment. I need to point to Jesus above all else. I need to speak truth and kindness, Yes, but he won't know if I'm any good either. <laughs> uh, we chose to honour God through celibacy in singleness, datingness, and faithfulness in marriage, and that is incredibly countercultural in today's society. One Corinthians thirteen four to eight reads, um, which if you've ever attended a wedding, which if you've been here longer than six months, I guarantee you've attended a wedding. (laughs) Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you truly love someone, you will wait until marriage to have sex. And if you are married, you will not have sex outside of your marriage. You will be patient, you will be kind, you will not be self-seeking. Because sex outside of marriage is lust, not love. In saying this, please hear me, church, if you have had sex before or outside of marriage, we're a future-focused church and believe in the grace of God above all else. But if you're currently having sex before or outside of marriage or struggling with any of these other things that we've brought up, now is your opportunity to stop. It will be worth it. And we are here on that journey with you. My final point... Sex is an act of worship. Sex is a gift from God. And we need to recognize that like all gifts from God, they don't serve one purpose. Sex is pleasurable. It will increase intimacy in your marriage. It can lead to the gift of children. And is also an act of worship. How, How do I do this? How do I make sex live up to an act of worship? so glad you asked church, pray together. And we say this time and time again, but actually pray together. Praying together will increase your intimacy levels stupendously. I was talking to a friend um, who's a preacher at another church and I was asking her on her thoughts, like what's what sort of? Do you have any ideas? I'm preaching on sex and intimacy. Like, what are your thoughts? Um, do you have anything that to add? And she said, "Tell them to pray together." And I said, "Yep." Yeah. No, like, yep, yeah, we've heard that. She said, like, "No, really. Tell them to pray together." So my friend, um, she has two very small children, and she said her and her husband recently decided to spend 24 hours in prayer. 1 a.m., at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., they woke up and they prayed together. They created a board of everything they wanted to pray for. community, they had their friends, they had their city, they had their workplaces, they had each other on that board. And they would start again on the hour, every hour, and pray through all of these things. And she said it got to the point where they were praying and the alarm for the next hour would go off before they'd finished. Pray together in your relationships. Also, with all our actions, we need to fully embody the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians highlights the fruits of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A lot of the issues that I have seen and have discussed within a marriage that have to do with sex is when we're not approaching sex with the fruits of the Spirit. When we are not kind, faithful, gentle, joyous in sex with our spouses, it becomes no longer about the gift that is sex, but a chore that we feel obligated to complete or about a fulfillment that we need inside of us to be completed by our spouse. We need to view sex as an opportunity to mirror Christ's servanthood. When we view sex through the lens of the cross, we see it as an opportunity to serve where there is no room for entitlement or taking. As Jacob mentioned a few weeks ago in his sermon on singleness, which if you haven't listened to, have a listen, is excellent. Sex will not complete you. Sex is good, sex is important, sex is an act of worship, but Jesus is fully sufficient for you.